Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. This is a Rogue Media Network podcast. This is 365 Sports, powered by Sikkim365.com. Top five Big 12 observations. We're going to go through the conferences this week. I've already done, I've already done several. I do that because I care about Emery. In his time, and he can he can work ahead. Emery kept me from bleeding to death earlier today. Say, look, he's he's a hero. I mean, honestly, it's like firefighters and doctors and nurses and Emery. Like that's that's who it is. Top five Big Twelve observations. Number five, Baylor and Tech certainly shot life into their seasons. Uh, it could have been very bad for them if they were both playing this game at one and four. Because even then. The winner is still not necessarily the winner in the game of life when it comes to the Big 12 season because that becomes a a game that is really really bad. And look, two and three at two and three has some more juice to it, but neither of their problems may have been completely solved this last week. But at least they got a win, and this is not one and four and one and four. Yeah, I mean, there would have been no way to kind of put lipstick on that pig if that would have been the case. <laughs> uh, but both of them coming off of wins, uh, you're right. It adds a little something to it. Now somebody's going to be 500. After all that either exactly one's been right. through, somebody's going to be 500. They're going to have two and one record in the Big 12. They're going to be halfway to bowl eligibility at the halfway mark of the season. So, yeah, I think it's it's a big game. And that's not even counting Joey versus Aranda and, you know, the, the old staff versus this staff and, and some of those, like, other things that we can talk about. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Tech, they had their hands full with Houston there for a little while like that. Yeah. They separated in the second half, and they had the lead at halftime, but, you know, posted the shutout in the second half. Houston, man, they just – there's some struggles there. I mean, I, I don't know how long Hogo is for this this whole Cougars thing, but um, – We'll get to them in a sec. Yeah, okay. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Baylor, obviously, a, a historic win, so – uh, both of them really needed that, and it came at just the right time and, and definitely adds some sizzle to the game this weekend for uh, supporters and just you know outside observers. Number four, take Neil Brown out the hot seat. Take <laughs> him off. Take him off. He's four and one. Everybody thought he would be one and four. Oh, yeah. He's four and one. And there are probably people out there that thought he might lose to Duquesne. But he's four and one. Now that's first class hating right there. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not even gonna give him the Duquesne game. That's a yeah. first class hater. There, there were so many people. And look, he he was very confident. Like sometimes I can tell you can tell coaches are like trying to tell you what their narrative is because they've got to sell it to the team. So if they can sell it to you, then they can sell it to them and on and on and on and on. But he was very confident and very ticked off about the narrative around West Virginia. Mm -hmm. And he wasn't trying to sell anything other than just watch us play. Right. Just watch us play and tell me what you think about our team when we do that. Well, Don't tell me about 2022. Tell me about 2023. One of the things he brought up, and I'm not sure how it's worked, but was that they had their, like, their entire offensive line was back and how important that is in the game of football. And like having your point guard back in basketball, except in football, there's five bodies. And he was he was angry. 
He wasn't like over the top, but I agree. It wasn't just a coach acting like bitter or whatever. He was frustrated because of how people viewed his program. Yeah, I think he was genuinely frustrated. I also think he knew what kind of ammunition he had because mm -hmm. of that. Like it's, it's boiling down to like the wrong background color on their background drop at media days, which, you know what, that is disrespectful that they didn't mm -hmm. get that right. So like, you know, whatever works, but we've often talked about like kind of the silly motivational nature of coaches and like tell the like, look for any sign of disrespect but like they really were smart in georgia yeah exactly <laughs> but like they really were getting disrespected like they like you know what uh yeah all these new teams that haven't played at, at the big 12 level uh, they're all gonna be better than you um you know like just except for houston i never got on board that they would yeah. be worse than houston but um yeah I, I think he's off i actually went to coach's hot seat for the first time in a long time it looks like they've revamped this bad boy i don't know yeah. when they did that but um he's not even on there at this point, he's not even on the list. Good. Uh, Dave Aranda's on there at number nine, which I don't even know how realistic that is, quite frankly, um, even before last Saturday. But, uh, yeah, he's not even on that list anymore, and it does seem like he's uh, thrown some water on that little burgeoning fire that was building in Morgantown for at least the time being. Yeah, absolutely. Billy Napier is at number three, by the way. I, I'm not I'm not ready to buy that one yet. Yeah, I think it's a work in progress because uh, some of these, yeah, are not quite uh, as, as automatic as you think. Yeah. Number three. Houston's got big problems. Yeah. Man. They've got big problems. They've got a roster problem that they did not. I don't think, and I'm not blaming Dana Holgerson for this because some of this is you just can't withstand it. It's not, it's stuff that happens from the outside, but they, they really should have come into the big 12 last year when you have Clayton tune and tank Dell and those guys, that would have been better for them. When you're Houston and you have a guy, Clayton Toon, who's four-year starter, Tank Dell, who is going to be one of the more exciting rookies in the NFL, it looks like, this season, and playing with, with C.J. Stroud. Like, those are just two of the guys. Alton McCaskill now goes to Colorado. so you've lost, And he wouldn't play last year anyway. Uh, he was a for, big player for yeah. you the year before. But he was a big yeah. player the year before. So, like, all these things that you had going as you entered are off, and, like, it's easier to, to flip the script, but – they struggled at the beginning of last year when they had a lot of those guys. You know, they had those struggles. So how long does Dana Holgerson hold this off? We even heard, look, Chris Pesman even said that he knows that Dana Holgerson isn't nuts about this, the way that college football works right, right now. Right. He's got tons of money. So maybe, you know, one day he, he just says that that's it. But Houston, in the early stages of, of the Big 12 for them has real problems now. It's, it's a, probably a shorter fix than it used to be. But again, you have to have the right people in place to do that. Yeah, you know, like Donovan Smith started off pretty hot, but then eventually Tech, you know, got on to him. Um, and Boy, he I, did start lightning He fast, started off yeah. really well. I mean, that was a fun first half. And then, you know, it was like, what, Tech scored seven in the third, mm -hmm. shut him out, scored seven in the fourth, shut him out. And that was, like, that was the second half, was 14 nothing shutout. But the first half, like, yeah, I mean, they started off well. And um, I think what Dana said – like really the, the main message I guess coming out of that game and fans won't love it, but he's like, we need big 12 bodies. Like we're just not built up like they are. And uh, you know, they got embarrassed on special teams. Um, that was, I think he said was as bad as he'd seen since they'd been there. So uh, you know, those were a couple of the reasons that he pointed out, but yeah, it's not good right now. I know fans aren't loving just the whole trajectory at the moment. And I know he just doesn't give a you-know-what, you know, pay me my buyout or whatever, but it is very kind of just, ugh, you could feel something sort of bubbling if they're not careful, and, and maybe even if they are careful, it doesn't matter. Um, but, yeah, they're, they're going to have to figure some things out down in H-Town. Number two, OU's offense is revving up. 50 points 
That's, I mean, like they've already done it, but 50 points against Iowa State. Craig, you mentioned it. Iowa State has given them headaches yep. the last few, whether it's uh, losing to Iowa State or barely winning against Iowa State. They've had problems, and they just they just dropped 50 on them. And while they don't have the running game that they would like to have yet, or the like necessarily the the takeover a game running back, and they lost a couple good ones in the last couple of years. Eric Gray, uh, I especially think was was really good for that offense. That's where Oklahoma fans get like upset. You say, well, they don't have the same talent. It's like it's not saying they don't have talent. It's saying they don't have like CD Lamb, you yeah. know, like or yeah, Eric Gray necessarily. And look, that doesn't mean other guys can't turn into those guys. But at the start of the season, they didn't have those proven guys. Yeah. Now they're starting to have some guys show up regularly and, and turning into those types of guys. Yeah. I uh, I watched the full game. I was accused last week of making a comment about Oklahoma, and I had not watched but a half of their game. I watched much more about Oklahoma than you could ever imagine. I watched a ton, like basically the entire game. I was a little bit taken aback by how many big gains and big chunks of yards they gave up on defense. And then they eventually, you know, Look, I guess they responded. But- but they do that early against Texas, and they're going to need to score 45 but, or 50 points. Before you can completely suffocate someone on defense, which I don't think is necessarily possible week in and week out in college football, even for the best defenses in college football right now, look, Michigan's got a great defense. When they get into playing Penn State, they're not going to completely suffocate Penn State. No. You know, it's they, just hard. But you have to – the first thing you fix, Phil Bennett did this at Baylor. Okay, you can get – you can move between the 20s, I may not be able to stop you. Right. But when the field is shorter and we, you have less space to work with, right. that's where we're going to get you off the field. Red zone defense. Give yes. up field goals, not touchdowns, or at least most of the time. Yeah, absolutely. So that's what they've, they've done a lot better this season. Yeah, and I do think their receiving course coming along. you got guys like Anthony and others that are starting to, you know, be like, I guess, you know, names and, and guys that are developing into your star type of players or your playmakers. I should, it's not stars necessarily, mm-hmm. but your playmakers. That's, you're starting to see that identity coming forward. But yeah, the running game's still a work in progress, um, but they've definitely made big strides. I know you say they, they gave up some chunks in there, but they, they're still clearly way better yeah. than they've been in the last well, two, three years under Lincoln Riley defensively. Those chunks didn't end. Or last year, even yeah, too. Those chunks didn't end in the field of play, Smokey. They ended, they ended with the other team on the sideline high-fiving each other last year. Yeah. That's the difference. Yeah. That's yeah, a big difference. No, that's, that's probably a pretty good point. I, yeah. I just, I, I, it will be f- interesting to see. Um, the Oklahoma defense, can they get a couple of stops early? And this doesn't turn into like a, a – a, in the past, they've had shootouts, and OU's been fine. They can win a game 55-50 against them. If, but that's what I will be watching. Can they run the ball? Because we know how good Texas has been against the run on defense. Yeah. Number one, Texas is not messing around. Okay, so they, they play – an uneven or uninspiring maybe half to their fans against Kansas, who's a good team, but without their starting quarterback. And Jason Bean's got him hanging in. That was such a bummer, too. When they were like, oh, all of a sudden he's out with the back. Like, did we have any inclination that was the case? Or it was just like, no. boom, he was no, out. No, that was uh, that seemed to be like a last-second deal. Yeah. And Jason Bean's like a very, like, if you're going to have a solid backup quarterback, like, he's about, outside of the programs that have, like, five stars waiting yeah. in the wings, like, that's about as sturdy of a backup quarterback who's played, started multiple games as you could have. But, uh, yeah, go ahead, Paul. Sorry. Yeah, so, but... What good teams do is when they start slow, they respond quickly. And um, 
I think the narrative of halftime adjustments has been overplayed a little bit. But for good teams, it's not really about halftime adjustments. It's just going in and wrangling those emotions a little bit or getting out of your own head. And then a coach walking over going, hey, uh, the next time 75 comes across your face, do this. And then they and then they, they change it, right? So those are the, the things that happen that, that are really subtle, but it's not – it's not a coach in the in the locker room drawing up something that he thought of that they haven't practiced. That's not really what happens. But Texas, when they respond, they respond with vigor. And I think that there are times that with Jason being at quarterback at Kansas and a Texas team that was heavily favored to beat them, only beating them by six at halftime, that game would have wound up 29-28 Kansas in double overtime. Uh, and everybody's talking about, well, that's, yeah. that was stupid how that ended. And Texas is, is left you know, holding the bag again. And a former but, walk-on's got an Applebee's deal all of a sudden. <laughs> yeah, all that would have happened. This Texas team said, nope, not this time. Go. And they they stepped on the accelerator in the second half. It really it honestly reminds me of like their their glory days in the early two thousands where yo, you got them close at halftime and then it's like, oh well the second half Poof. still has to play out yeah. and then boom they just jet off and you don't have the guns or the the ammo, the weapons, or however you want to describe it, uh, to keep up, uh to 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 keep pace with them. Oklahoma should be a team that's built to do that. Um, so this weekend is going to be amazing to, to watch these two go against each other because I do think there's still so many questions about, like, like Texas is clearly good and Oklahoma is clearly better, but compared to each other, sort of where are they, right? Yeah. And where's where's both of them in terms of, like, the national landscape? Like, Texas obviously ranked high. Oklahoma's up nearly the top ten at this point. But, like, where are they, you know, against each other, I think is a burning question. And also one, you know, for the remainder of the Big 12, because obviously whoever wins this is, is in the driver's seat uh, after Saturday. But, uh, yeah, Texas, they look really good. Now you've got Jonathan Brooks this last, you know, two, three games, um, really turning it on and turning into, like, a reliable – uh, just star running back for them. And violent runner. Yeah. He's violent. Oh, yeah. And so, like, they, they just don't have a ton. I know Coach Bennett pointed out, like, a couple, like the edges, are, you know, can sometimes. But, I mean, for the most part, they don't really have any weaknesses. And Quinn Ewers didn't have, like, a big statistical game. But he had a really sharp, smooth, good game. He threw a pick, his first pick. But outside of that, he made some, he got some damage on the ground with a couple big touchdown runs. Yeah, he's now become a little bit of a problem because you have to cover so many weapons everywhere, he is not afraid to take off and has some speed to do something with it. Busted off, like, what was it, like a 30-yarder yeah, or something yeah. in that game? So, yeah, I mean, they're they're really salty, man, and, and I'm fascinated to see how Oklahoma stacks up with them on Saturday. I, I'll tell you this, though. Here's one of the things about the – I just went and looked at the box score. Oklahoma gave up touchdowns of 51 and 67 yards and a 39-yard run, and that is a problem. And now Bowman had the pick six early, so they're creating things on defense mm -hmm. despite giving up that. That, to me, has to be they're giving up the big play, even to Iowa State, who is okay as an okay team. This has been a Rogue Media Network production.